on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. As much as at the end of the day, sometimes things are not going your way, I have figured out how to enjoy the process. The journey is really everything. And if you just, things are just handed to you, if, if you, you know, if you can think about anything where you didn't actually pay for it or didn't invest or didn't have some blood, sweat and tears, there is something about the journey. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. All right, and welcome to the stage. A good friend of mine, as I probably just mentioned, but Anthony Clervy. Thank you so much for for coming on to uh, the the show here today and uh, joining us at the King's Table for uh, gathering the kings today. Of course. Good morning. Glad to be here. Awesome, man. Well, obviously, the audience doesn't know this, but but you and I go way back. And so we've known each other for a real long time. And it's actually been not only just a pleasure to be your friend, but a pleasure to be a business acquaintance. And we've done business together and done all sorts of different things along the way. But today, I really want to just focus in on a couple of things of your journey specifically. And do the it. point of this show is to, to bring some value to our listeners. So that's what we're hoping to do today. And I know that you're going to bring it. So I'm excited. Awesome. Let's do it. Cool. Okay. So let's start with your current position. Obviously you are an owner, but tell us what industry you're in, like the workings of your business. What is it that you do right now? So official title, president and CEO of a company called Una, and we are a group purchasing organization, which I say is a little bit unique. Not many folks are familiar with that, but we have organizations. So we serve the private business community, usually mid-sized to larger business, thousands of employees is an ideal. We say private business, some of the fortune 1000. And then there's healthcare as well mixed in there. But what we do on the simplest term is we have negotiated contracts with big box suppliers and manufacturers. We have negotiated contracts and members in the private space, healthcare space come to us or future members and say, we need help with spend in certain items, whether it's shipping supplies, um, travel, when there was excessive travel, um, that's coming back. There's furniture, there's all kinds of different supplies and products that we have negotiated contracts on that members can't get on their own. So some will, an analogy, or it's like Costco for business, but there's no membership and you don't have to buy in bulk. So it's a really unique model where we're able to help businesses buy the really big dogs or healthcare organizations because we're leveraging billions and billions of spend and helping organizations on average save anywhere between 10 and 15, if not 20% on certain categories that we help them manage and look at. So it's been a unique, I didn't didn't grow up one day and say, I want to be in the group purchasing space or understand or get a, you know, general understanding of procurement or sourcing, but it is a nice big, I would say it's not a lake, it's an ocean. So there's a lot of opportunity and it genesis back for like a hundred years, the concept of group purchasing. So hospitals were getting together and saying, Hey, this stuff really costs a lot of money. Maybe we, excuse me, maybe we need to band together and figure out a way to, to drive costs out of the system. Yep. Buy it together. Very good. And obviously I've known each other 
long enough to know the ins and outs of some of your contracts and, and even some yeah. of my franchises have used uh, some of those contracts. And on the Jansan stuff, some of the others, yeah. like it's crazy how far the rabbit hole extends in the portfolio. There's thousands of contracts, which actually can be somewhat of a distraction as we've grown to try to figure out, all right, what markets can we really serve? What suppliers are really good partners in the portfolio? And so again, power and focus. Absolutely. And I know you're a big focus guy. And so we'll probably get more into that here um, in a little bit, because uh, I know that you've been a key factor for that. And even as we've been friends and, and uh, masterminding back and forth over the years, that's been something that you've always uh, tooted the horn of as focus. And so we'll definitely get into that here shortly. Obviously, the point of this, this show specifically, this podcast is from a, a mutual seven plus figure table. We're, we're talking back um, a couple of years to our old self. So the listener yeah. today is- When we were sophomores in gym class, old self. We do know each other back from sophomore yeah. gym class. That's right. Yeah. But maybe not quite back that far. It wasn't too much after that when you and I started our businesses. But, but there's guys and gals listening today that, uh, that are you know mid six figures and they're trying to figure out how to get to the seven figure table. And so I, want, I really want to dive into a couple of things that are going to be super helpful for them. And so before we do that, I want to know one thing. At this level in the game, multi-seven figures, you got a great team, you got a great family, you get you just just all intents and purposes, a lot of things working for you. What drives you at this moment to still be at it? Yeah, so there's a handful of things. I would say I, as much as at the end of the day, sometimes things are not going your way, I have figured out how to enjoy the process. The journey is really everything. And if you just Things are just handed to you. If, if you, you know, if you can think about anything where you didn't actually pay for it or didn't invest or didn't have some blood, sweat, and tears, there is something about the journey. Yeah. I would say motivated by uh, faith and family. Faith, just hey, every day I'm going to get up. Like I do my very best as possible to look in the mirror and be honest with myself. Hey, did I give it my best today? What was that? Whether it, I tried to eat well, I tried to, I got some exercise in. Just be a person. That, hey, this is what I'm doing today, and one day at a time is. As boring as it may sound. And the other thing I would alert is you're not, I'm not massively motivated. Like you get up, it's really just a discipline of making decisions. And then the family piece is, hey, I have a responsibility as a guardian to protect, take care of, make sure there's heat in the house as we're recording this in the winter. Sure. Uh, make sure a family has options, the kids have options. And I think go back to using your talents and we're in America and you have, a, I think, an extraordinary, if not one of the best opportunities to be born at this time in America on this ball of mud. And I also don't believe you're going to come back as like a tree or I think you get one shot or a <laughs> butterfly or a shark sure. or a whale or something. So I think there's just that reality of perspective at 50 or 100,000 uh, feet that you're like, wow, this is a great opportunity. I'm 36 years old. Let's make the most of it. And every day counts. Yeah, I love the let's make the most of it. I'm hearing use my talents, be excellent, fall in love with the journey, enjoy the process. I'm hearing all of these things that we hear on a regular basis from very successful people, including you. And one follow up question to that would be, how did you arrive there to that, that simplicity of desire where you're at? I would say maturity. So either books that I've read, or I would say marrying up some of the, some of the biggest decisions you can make in your life, in my opinion, would be a faith decision, wherever you are on that journey. I'll say that boldly. I'll also say just as a business owner or entrepreneur or whatever hat and title you want to wear, who you marry is probably a top three decision you'll make in your life. It really matters. And so Michelle, my wife has been a very blessed uh, 
person for myself as a partner and as a guide. So it's a, it's a nice, healthy tension of a yin and yang of if I want to shoot for something or go for something, not that there's a hold me back of let's think that through, let's talk that out. So I have a very good bond and healthy relationship with my partner and wife. And I think the transparency there of letting her into everything, to be frank with you, is has been phenomenal for me personally and for any of the businesses that I touch. Yeah, and I'll say this too. So the as far as like how do you keep going? I look at it as a game, and I just want to win. I actually hate losing more than I like to win. But I think there's important things to learn while losing. I'm still learning that. I think it's also important to understand. You know, you think about income and a business and net worth and all these. I think overemphasized terms. We all talk about the unicorns, the same five people: Cuban, Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, etc. We're talking basis points of the one percent. One percent of companies do over $10 million in top line revenue. I hope your audience knows this. You can look that up in a book called Scale Up by Vern G. Can't remember. I always mess up his last name. <laughs> 5% of companies do over a million. So that's your seven figure mark. So 5% of companies. So where are the rest? They're obviously less. So I think just understanding and 1% on an income standpoint is roughly 400,000. It's probably increased with a little bit of inflation, yeah. uh, but let's just say 450, okay? Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, that's not that much money as you start to look at things and see costs and where things are going. But it's, you think you have to, I have to make a million a year. I have to do this or I have to do this. There's just, and I'm an impatient person, but just understanding the process and the game and you're able to look back. I just cannot emphasize that enough as you're, as you're either starting or thinking about starting, or you have a nice business and want to go to the next level, the second seven figure, even eight figure mark. Um, sure, I'd love to already be there, but there are clearly things that I need to know and learn and, and invest in to get to that next level. So that's the exciting yeah. part of what's to come. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm hearing patiently urgent. So you got to be urgent about right now and I'm going after it. I want to win. Right. Uh, I don't want to lose. Um, but at the same time, you're also playing a long game. You're 36. As you said, you've got a family, you've got kids, you're trying to leave a legacy. All the these top of the second play. inning. That's right. Exactly. Lots of time to play. Let's go. All right. So Anthony, take me back. We're going to go back. Maybe it's to back when we first met back in high school, or maybe even sooner, but I'm curious to know for you, when did you first know that entrepreneurship was for you? I'll probably, so I'll use college as an example. I remember when I started interviewing from my junior year, senior year, I played, I played baseball at a small school in McKendree. I'll give them a shout out McKendree university. You can look up my stats. It's a little bit how I do life. Too many strikeouts, too aggressive at the plate. It was either like a double home run or a strikeout. Uh, but when I was doing some interviews, I had <clears throat> I started to interview for insurance, some insurance firms and some other opportunities that I, I don't have all the details because it's a little bit of a minute ago. But I, I realized like, I cannot go down this traditional path where I go make at that time, try to get in at thirty-five or $40,000 and then work your way up. It, it didn't make any sense to me. And I went the insurance route that didn't work. And frankly, I've been fired like three times from past employment, which I'm not gloating about. I wouldn't recommend that path. But I think just like being con a conformist and being stuck. And if you, so that was after college and probably like, like a, a five-year track of career. And then has led me to, I would say almost the last 10 years of turning Una around, which wasn't called Una. But it was probably that college doing some of those initial interviews and then <laughs> being asked to leave or leaving in my career over the last 15 years so on the front end of five years in the last decade. I haven't interviewed in the last 10 plus years, 
but it was through that process, which was bumpy, but that instant moment in college, wow. So what is it that you're not interested in? Is it just the, the expectation of the boomers? Like you get in and work somewhere for 30 years and have your 401k and not that I'm against that. I just, the model just did not make sense to me. It didn't resonate. Yeah. Well, for the person listening here there, they feel very similar. I'm sure writing their own story, helping their own path. And that's how entrepreneurs think. And so this gig economy. Yeah. Just to jump in with you, like it's a new expectation. Like everybody's rambling on the millennials you've seen here in November, I think it was roughly like four and a half million people have resigned right? um, because either they're looking for better options or growth or companies are stupid and not letting their employees go remote. They're just stuck in their ways or there's better growth opportunities or companies are not paying at market rates or or insert X reason why. They are just like, you know what? If I hate it, I'm not going to do it. And honestly, I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And two, on the the backside, as you're building a team, those things that you mentioned, you have to keep um, in mind as you're building that team because things are changing for sure. Okay. So tell me this real quick. How do you think your childhood or how you were raised? Obviously, I know your parents and a little bit of your upbringing, but how do you think that affected either you wanting to be in business or today as you've grown and been through the struggles and the victories of a business to become successful? How do you think how you were raised played a role in that? I think again, being born in America, I'll say it just as a as an individual who I didn't have, I didn't have to deal with divorce growing up. I didn't have, I had two parents that were awesome, loving. We had dinner at the table, TV off. We talked about things. Both sides of my family have entrepreneurs. So I was very blessed and fortunate. So my uncles on my mom's side, so her two brothers have built a, a very successful in, in Minneapolis called uh, Highway 55 Rental outside of Minneapolis, Medina. So I was around that, didn't even understand it. My brothers built a very, and his partners and team built a very successful business called Fresh Ideas. It's going to do over $50 million or has this past year and growing. So it's been, it's been a, I think it's been ingrained in me. My, our grandfather had restaurants uh, on my dad's side, my grandfather on my mom's side, who I probably spent the most time with growing up, taught me how to shoot and a different, you know, he never had a job by the time I was able to, he had retired, he had bought land, he had a successful construction company, he had helped invest in his boys rental business. So I think just that reality and those conversations, I was very fortunate to be around that. So it was really, I was ingrained with an expectation. Now, my parents were both teachers at the collegiate level, which was wonderful. And I think there was a grounded groundedness in that that was very good for me. I'm a huge fan of education, whether that be uh, through the institutional route, or I think better, it's more of just being a, uh, so that's a lot of what we look at when we're hiring folks is, are you a natural learner? And if so, can you get, be specific on that? So those are you know some of the things that I think helped ingrain. You know, I did some of the stuff like I had lemonade stands. I would buy and sell bikes when I was really young. And yeah. but I, I wasn't trying to hustle baseball cards or any of that. I don't, for better or for worse, I just, I went the sports route. So I think the competitive nature sure. was yep. always building and grinding at me. And baseball was really good, really good for me because goodness gracious, did I fail a lot, whether it's at the plate or in the field and you don't, you, it's actually expected, right? If you go three for 10 at the major league level, you're a hall of fame. Obviously I never made it to that level, but there is a natural expectation in that sport. How do you deal with and overcome failure? Exactly. And a lot of it uh, to your point. Okay. So let's get into the nitty gritty here. Appreciate the upbringing. I think a lot of folks can relate to that. Of course, our story here, like me and you running together, like, Totally two different stories of upbringing yeah. and education, but yet, but both seven figure owners, multiple seven figure owners, 
and we've come to a place where we've got family and employees and all this stuff that we're responsible for. But along the way, you and I have had to make <clears throat> decisions. And that's really what being a successful entrepreneur is about. Sometimes we make good decisions. Sometimes we make bad decisions. I can attest to both very good and very bad decisions. And so that's where I want to go. I want to get some, some really real raw stuff on the table so that the person listening today can go, you know what, I can relate to that, or maybe I can stay away from that. So let's start with the good. Tell me a good decision that you've made along the way that has enabled you to be able to get to the level that you've made. I'll just speak to Una. At the time, it was almost, it's just under 10 years, but let's just say a decade because it sounds better. And I was I was doing contract work for Sears because I'd just been fired prior to that at my third or fourth seat. And I was like, you know what? I'm done. Like, why am I doing this? I'm obviously not a good employee and I still have a lot to learn, but I saw an opportunity. So my brother is one of the partners in Una with a few others. And there was a president and leader at the time. I did some contract work. I set up, we set up a contractor relationship where I would under, learn the business, understand it and, and go sell. And that has led to where that it didn't work out for that president. I would argue good, a uh, good person, good leader, wrong seat and phenomenal opportunity for me because the organization was failing. And so that created the equity, the growth equity as a turnaround, which has been interesting just as an investor and what I've done, I've turned around a few other things. So it's just, that has been something that over the last 10 years has led to a lot of the fruit. It's my steak and potatoes right now. Yeah. Um, where it was at the time I took a leap, but I was able to take a leap, right? I was living on my own at that, you know, 600 square foot apartment. I didn't have right. a family. I didn't have all these expenses. I didn't have any debt, which I would encourage. I wasn't buying crap I didn't need and made that leap. And, and I didn't quite understand it. I didn't quite understand the group purchasing space at that time. Right. We had a few other relationships that were serving restaurants and it just, it was a risk, but I was risking my time. I wasn't right. risking capital at that. It has led to where I am today, in short. Yeah. No, I love it. So the good decisions, you actually said several there. So I just want to pull them out here for the listener. Not only did you take the risk of saying, you know what, <clears throat> I'm done with the working the nine to five, clock in, clock out. I just, I'm done there. So I think everybody listening can, can relate to that. And then you said, okay, fine, let me, I got to go sell something. And it wasn't that you had this background in sales, although we both know that you're a very good salesman now, but it's not that you had this extensive background in sales that even in itself was a risk. And, and so you just decided to say, Hey, let's just, right. let me just see what happens here. You didn't, you weren't given a bunch of uh blue sky of like promise. It was more blue sky of let's just hey, see if you what perform, happens. X might happen, which yeah. I would argue that's how it works in the real world. That's how so. it works in the real world. A hundred percent. Yeah. There's it. See what, let's see what based. you can do, kid. <laughs> Essentially, the partner said, let's see what you can do, kid. They maybe didn't say that, but that's how it felt. That, well, and I'm sure that's to a degree how what they were thinking, uh, even if they didn't say it. So, so your decision to take the risk, to jump in to something that you had no clue how to do, and you literally figured it out along the way. Obviously, I know the story because I was there, but I know that your customer base has changed over time. Your focus yeah. has changed over time. The general feel of the business obviously has changed dramatically over the last 10 years. It went from literally you figuring out everything to now you have yeah. a, a team and, and you're doing the thing. And obviously a lot of good choices there. So thank you for sharing that. I think we can relate to those. What about a bad choice? Maybe one or two that just, man, I, I did this. Obviously I'm sure you learned from it because as I know that's how you think, but tell us about a bad decision and how you learn from it. You know, I, I want to talk about some of the employment decisions I was asked to leave. I think there were some bad decisions in there. I'll just share a few that I think I was just too aggressive by nature and not managing some of my 
aggressiveness and, and coloring outside the lines. And so there were some good learning lessons that I personally needed to learn. Before There's you a, got into business, you're working for somebody else. You're being before, too aggressive, which yeah, is leading you to get fired. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There it is. Uh, <laughs> good clarification. Uh, <laughs> and I think the ones that would help, there's a saying like, you you know, learn from your mistakes or that gets yep. thrown around. There's no law or rule that says you can't learn from other people's mistakes. And so I would say something, someone going from a six figure or seven figure. So hopefully this is helpful for your audience. You, you kind of think about the entrepreneur and kind of the solopreneur. Mm -hmm. If you're a solopreneur and you've got a couple hundred thousand dollars running through that, like you're not really an entrepreneur because you're doing everything right. And there's a certain amount of that. That's how it starts. But I would recommend what I've learned is through, through that place when I was in just, I didn't have, I didn't have a team. I didn't have the revenue. I didn't really truly understand what it meant to build a team that would be successful in that space or really just universally. And I, I don't want to say you can't hire friends, but here's the point. I started to hire friends because I trusted friends. Right. And you get to a point where is that the best decision for the friend and the organization? And so here was the mistake and saying this publicly, the mistake was I was fed up for things for a long time and didn't communicate that clearly to those friends and had to offboard those friends. And it was bumpy as hell and it was disruptive. And now those friends are no longer friends. And so there's two things. I would be really cautious at hiring friends, uh, not saying you can't. And I want to also say, which is actually, I'll give a highlight to Gary Vee, which I'm sure most of your audience know who Gary Vee is at this point. Yeah. He just wrote a book called 12 and a half. It's a good book and all of his stuff is good. And one of his things, which I'm a pretty candorous person, but I lacked the candor in those conversations just to give everybody, give those two individuals a heads up of, hey, you're not meeting expectations. Here's why. And if this doesn't change, here's what's going to happen. And we had a kind of a, a little bit of that conversation. And I don't have a problem doing that with anybody else, but with friends, it kind of came this extra layer. And so I would say, be very cautious about hiring friends. And then if you get to a point where you're beyond a solar entrepreneur, and the way to do that is think about what is it you're doing that you don't want to do, figure out how much it costs to do that for real, right? Lay it out, look at that for your budget for that year, and then go hire that person. You'll realize it's probably not that much. And then you can go do what you're good at. Now I was doing that, but the process in which I did it, I shortchanged a few things. And so your mindset changes. I'm not saying you can't hire friends. I know a lot of people that do it. I'm in business sure. with, with family. Yep. I think it's just, if you're going to do that and the business starts to outgrow, whoever it is, you've got to make sure that if the person can move with the business or not, how you're having those conversations they need to be just as gracious and professional on the onboarding as they are on the exporting, the offboarding, I should say. So yeah, yeah. those are some poor decisions that hurt me personally. It was disruptive to the organization because we don't have a thousand people and we have less than 15 people. And so I would say it was, it was, a, it was a turning point. I still reflect on that as we go through the process, because not everybody can come with you, right? You're not building a club, you're building a, an organization. And I always want to go with the theme of what is in the best interest of the organization. And sometimes that is, you have to ask people to leave, but it's important how you do it. hundred percent. I love how you said that is that you have to stay true to the business. The business doesn't exist if business principles aren't followed. And that is the lifeblood of the business. You have to get sales. You have to take care of clients. You have to 
meet the expectations of the business. And whoever is in, in or on the team not meeting expectations can't be there anymore. Um, right. And it doesn't mean that that they're a bad person or yeah. that they're that shouldn't be your friend anymore. Yeah, you've got to you've got to be aware of those things uh, to be able to be steadfast to yourself, not like to yourself individually, but to the business. Otherwise, there is no business. And so, to your point, hiring close friends, relatives is easy on the front end. In fact, it's a level I would say. I would argue it's. A, I would cautiously argue it's a false comfort. Uh, yeah. It can be if you don't really have the seat defined. And the other thing to think about too is if you don't make those tough calls as the leader, entrepreneur, or whatever title you want to give you, give yourself, if, if you've got other players on the bus, the A players will sniff it out and say, if that's going to be, that's going to be tolerated, I'm out. Right. Yeah. Because they desire excellence. They're A players. Right. You got it's it. It's not just about the pay. It's also about the environment and they don't want, they don't want anybody slowing down the ship either. Okay. So if you're, I hope that you're taking notes right now, but Anthony's spitting all kinds of uh, fire at you right now. I'm going to recap just for a you know, just 10 seconds. Hiring, number one, pay attention when you hire. Don't hire just anybody. <laughs> That's what I heard, okay? And in addition to that- I recommend it's called The Who. The Who. The Who, Not How? Throwing that in there. Really good book. The Who, Not How? Or, just, or is it The Who? I think it, it's called Who. I wish I could get the- If you type in Who for hiring on who Amazon hiring. or any of the, it should come out. Yeah. There you go. Good. Okay. So the who for hiring and you want to be purposeful in how you hire is what he's really saying. And whether that's a friend, family, or someone that you don't know, you want to be purposeful in hiring. And then specifically along the way with any employee relationship or partner relationship for that matter, expectations have to be clear. Communication has to be even clearer. And then you have to be able to operate in that fully. You can't hold back. You've got to be on the same page and you got to be going after it or not. And it's okay to be not, but it's not okay inside the business. <laughs> right. It, you got to be, if you want to be successful short-term and long-term. Right. And so the, the person listening today is a six-figure owner, as we've mentioned, and they're wanting to get to that seven-figure mark. And one thing that you said at the beginning of this little question was, you didn't say it like this, but that's what I'm hearing is in order to really go to seven figures, you can't do it yourself. You got to have a team. So what would you say to the entrepreneur who's out there? And we've determined this in a little bit of our language of the Gathering the Kings is that at a six-figure mark, you're in the grind. You're doing the deal. Like you and I both have been there. And to a degree, obviously, we're both still there. We still want to build and grow and push and all this stuff. But at some point, you see things from a higher perspective. You cut. You said maturity earlier. You start thinking about your team, your community, your family, buying back your time. But like right now, these guys are they're in the grind. What would you give to them right now as a, you're still in the grind, but you got to get to the place where you can see the bigger picture. I would say have patience, right? If you've set this expectation, I have to do X millions of dollars in a certain amount of time or else, or if there's some kind of ultimatum, I'm a failure. That's just a false uh, paradigm. I would encourage against that dramatically. Like there have been a lot of things and setbacks where I should probably already be at eight figures with a few organizations, but I should, I could, but it didn't happen, right? Things happen, things right. change. We had a pandemic, et cetera. What I would say is stay true to who you are and what you're good at and trust the process. Hopefully you're in a, you're in a lane or business that allows for you to have, you know, some incremental or even extra exponential Tough one. Exponential <laughs> you growth. Got it out. Don't worry. You got uh, it. <laughs> and if you if you do, hopefully people that that pick up your trash and recycling, like they're really working hard. So I think just <laughs> hoping and ditch diggers and bricklayers and guys on the roof and gals, whatever. So 
just hopefully you're in an organization and a, and a swim lane in the market that actually for your product and service has a demand at that level. Again, I can't speak right. to that, but let's assume it does. There's some really phenomenal books out there that talk about you as a CEO and leader. You're going to be the king chief salesperson all the way to a million and beyond. And so if you've developed a product and you can't sell, I would argue either figure out how to or hire a salesperson. If you're in a service-based business and you've got enough processes in place, hopefully enough to where you're out there selling the business so that the service can be brought, you're going to have to be kind of that chief salesperson, especially to a million. Because if you don't have the cash and really an understanding of how to lift that to seven figures, it's going to be really hard to hire people. And it's easier once it gets bigger. Once you start having some healthy EBITDA and you've got some reserves, you've got retained earnings, if you had to bring on some debt to, to pay that down. So a lot of these things may or may not make sense. They're fairly standard within the market. I would recommend, I've done some peer-to-peer -peer groups, get around folks that are farther along than you are. And don't be afraid to ask for help. That would be the other thing. So there's, I'm stuck. And I would think, you know, there's a great book. It's called, what is it? It's the ownership book. I'm terrible with Tyler, but <laughs> extreme ownership. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And just embracing that the business is where it is all because of me, all the good things and all the bad things. And I'm not saying don't focus on the good things, but if it's not where it is, where you want it to be, just recognize, okay, it's my fault. That's great. Don't, don't, you don't need to spend a lot of time there, but you've right. contributed to that. What can you do to change? You're like, well, I don't know what to do. Well, then I think you need to be humble enough to ask and yep. have some real peer-to-peer -peer review, have a third party, take it something, have hire a consultant, invest because the law of the lid is real. And the lid is you, your capacity as the leader. Yep. And if you're not, if you're not increasing your capacity, the organization can't grow. Yeah, it's hundred percent. That I'm gonna I'm gonna reiterate that your organization cannot grow, and especially cannot get to seven figures if you personally don't grow. But then more than that, the individual skill sets that Anthony has highlighted here: number one, being sales; number two, being able to duplicate yourself. You cannot do it all. And I'm speaking from the original choir of do it yourself. And this more than anybody, Anthony, in my walk or of business. It's just that I'm capable. So let me just get it done because I could probably get it done better and faster than any of my people anyway. And, and that limiting mindset will keep you small. You have to be able to grow the team. You have to have someone else do it. You have to be okay with their 100% looking different than your 100%. Doesn't mean and it's also not to fair to expect your employees to have the same level of commitment or drive when the economics are very different. Very different, 100%. Yep. Exactly. No, that's very good perspective. And so as you grow, you've got to be able to uh, determine what that looks like. So as that you take purposeful motion in, in hiring, you know exactly who you're looking for, but then also what the opportunities that you're given to them, clear expectations and communication, all of these things that Anthony have shared with us. Okay. So we're going to go speed round. We're going to wrap up here. Speed round. we got a couple of questions here that I'm just going to fire at you. A one to two, maybe three word answer. And really for, for the listener right now, if you haven't been taking notes, I want you to take notes because these next couple of things are going to be the takeaways from today. If you haven't gotten anything, and there's already been a lot of good stuff here, but here's a couple of really good things. Number one, Anthony, if there was only one metric that you could track in your business from now going until forever, what metric would you track? So I'm going to use... I know it's more words, but in this like construct of six figures, seven figures. Yep. So I'll just say sales pipeline. 
sales pipeline. You've got to learn sales. You've got to fill your sales pipeline and you got to freaking get it done. You got to sell jobs. Hopefully you got a product or service people give a hoot about. Good. Okay. Number two, what book you've already given us a couple, but what book comes to your mind specifically when I'm thinking I'm a six figure owner and I'm trying to go to seven figures. What do I read right now? It would be a sales book. I I would say there's probably a dreaming aspect. I really like this early on. It's called the magic of thinking big which I think ties in with capacity. It's an oldie, but a goodie. Yep, love um, it. And if you're just like a really analytical nerd introvert, which is okay, by the way, those people usually like Bill Gates is on the spectrum. I think he did okay. Yes. And developed some great products and had some great people around him. The how to win friends and influence people yep. may seem cheesy and kind of pop psychology, but honestly, there's some tried and true things in there, which I think will help you not only to from the sales perspective externally, but then figure out how to be an effective human internally with people. Yeah. You said it in order to go to seven figures, you got to grow your revenue, which is sales, and you got to have a team. So figuring out how to sell and and your mindset behind that, as well as then how to deal with people. I think both of those are great recommendations. Okay. Number three, you've already mentioned this, but do you intentionally network or mastermind with business owners? And do you have a budget to do so? Or do you spend money to do so? Uh, yes, yes, and yes. So I've done peer groups. I'm very, I would say, as a you're gonna go the five people around you is a very critical measurement of where yep. you're going and the values that you allow and values that you share around you. So uh, I have, yes, I would say tens of thousands of dollars dedicated towards whether it be trips or conferences or people that I meet with or invite to dinner or get invited to dinner or travel. Absolutely. I think, awesome. I think you, you need to be consistently thinking about that. I, I've had some active mentorships that I've as well, just reaching out, asking for help, uh, whether it be business, whether it be personal or the mix. And I would also argue too, if you're the first person you need to lead, right, is yourself. And so get back to marriage or whoever you're dating. And if you don't have a positive environment around you, I would say it's such a critical decision to really make sure that you know how to lead yourself. Who are you dating or married to? And is, is that, are you guys aligned as from a value perspective? And there was another point that I was trying to emphasize, but I've forgotten it. I'm gonna move on. <laughs> all good. Last point here on the speed round is if you lost it all today, boom, Una's gone. What do you do? And I have no liquidity. I just, I can't borrow Nothing. money from anybody. <laughs> Nothing. Well, okay. you could, you could, you could borrow That's money. True. But, but most likely what I would do in this to go along with the fun is, I don't know if I would start a business. I would probably get into a high level sales position and put a bunch of cash aside and buy a business, buy an existing business. That's probably exactly what I would do because and do something during the day. And then you're doing the twilight hours to, to get something spun up. So, right. You've heard it here from the man himself, Anthony Clervy, a uh, multiple seven figure owner. He's given you so much value today on how you can take your business, not only just from six figures to seven figures, but you individually, how you level up, um, because that's also part of the journey. And so thank you, Anthony, for sharing your story. We so appreciate you being here and we, we bless you, your family and your business. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Glad to be here, Chad. Appreciate you, brother. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Gathering the Kings. We hope you got a ton of value today and learned a thing or two about taking your business to seven figures and beyond. If you desire more and want a community around you to help you get there, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. That's gatheringthekings.com. And I want you to apply for our next 
Becoming a King 90-Day Intensive. We are extremely exclusive by nature as a group. What that means is that we're really wanting only the entrepreneurs who take their business and targets super serious to apply. So if that's you, you think you got what it takes to level up your business, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com and apply. And we will see you on the other side.